preaching and all the playing and all the eating and the lack of sleep and everything else, but you are to be commended. You're some of the most unusual young people I've ever seen to be as well-behaved as you have been and be able to be respectful. <laughs> oh, boy, man. Well, I was going to let y'all out early, but <laughs> goodness gracious, I was going to let you off early. You can throw all of them you want now, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not walking across the pews anymore. That's, those days are gone. But as I was saying, that's a blessing. That's a great offering. Thank you. Some of y'all need to take a shower. You've been unusual kids. There's one or two of you that hadn't learned a lesson yet, and I feel sorry for you. Your head's way too hard, and you haven't learned the lesson that God's got a hammer hard enough to break your head. I wish you'd learn without having to go through it the hard way, but the majority of you, man, what a blessing you've been around. You've been kind and complimentary, and you stayed awake and doing the best that you possibly can, and I really, really do appreciate it. I appreciate having the camp. I like watch Brother Elliot burn like that. He's like that all the time. He's been like that all the years I've known him. And it doesn't matter where he is. He isn't just that way at camp. He's that way at home. He's that way all the time. He's that way on the phone. Sometimes when you get him on the phone like that, you have to go, Chief, 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 hello, hello. And then he'll go, did I lose you? Did I lose you? I'm like, I was just trying to tell you, I'm walking into a meeting. Can I, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I just want to tell you, you wouldn't believe what he just did for me. I was like, I, 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 I got it, I, but I got to go, right? And I like to see somebody that's on fire for the Lord. Amen. Why don't you take your Bible and as you stand, turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 9. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. <laughs> You're playing my song. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what to what to say. Don't put don't put that on video. That's Second Samuel chapter number nine. There's a great story here of something that I think that we all can learn something from. I like stories like this in the Bible because they hit home with me. You know, David was a great warrior, right? And we know about David's mistakes and about David's sin and so on and so forth, and we understand that. I like when a big man, a hard man, a warrior... A man that has the ability to step out with the courage to kill a giant with a sling and some stones and to kill a bear and a lion. I like to see the tender side of him. I think real manhood is, is the ability to not always be a brute, not always be a bully, not always be hard and harsh, but to be able to be tender. I don't think there's anything that speaks with greater volume than when somebody who has the ability to crush you like an egg under a giant's heel, that they can show you mercy and grace and long-suffering. I look at my Savior that way. 
I know when he looks down there at me, I know he has in just his pinky all he needs to eradicate me in my life. And why he continues to be merciful to me, I have no idea. But I sure am glad that he is. If you will, look in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's just read a little bit of the story here. The Bible said, and David said, Is there yet any that is left of the household of Saul? Now remember, Saul was his enemy. That I may show kindness, him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was at the house of Saul a servant named Ziba. And when he had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not any yet of any of the household of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. The king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said, And behold, the king, he behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. And King David sat and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, uh, from Lodibar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. For Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Look in verse number 13 before Brother Evans prays for us. Look in verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both of his feet. Brother Jeremy, you pray, would you please? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks for being so kind to stand. And let me just give you a couple of things about this story. I, I, I think one of the greatest things about the story is, is it reminds me of what it ought to remind all of us of in the sense of what the Lord did for us when he saved us. It reminds me of the fact that it took God's mercy and God's grace and God's kindness to send His only begotten Son. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. But boy, the giving of that Son, He didn't realize, was going to be met with a, two hand, with a hammer and three nails, and He was going to be whipped and going to be beaten, and then wind up having a spear thrust in His side and nails put in His hands and His feet. They didn't really realize, they didn't know, that when we read that story at Christmas time sometimes, you know, the little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a major and something was with the angels. Suddenly, a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to all men. And we talk about, boy, what a wonderful little baby that comes here. But what about having a baby greeted? And he came down here to be a gift in order for us to be able to get in who didn't deserve to get in. And I think about this, if all the things that a king would have going on in those days, that King Saul sitting there, and of all the things that the king could do, fix the economy, try to worry about running for political office, or all the things that people busy themselves with today, of all the things that a king could do, David's musing upon his throne, sitting there thinking, maybe pondering, stroking his beard and thinking to himself, and of all the things he could think, it's found in the passage, he said, is there not someone of the household of Saul uh, that I can so... Well, wait a minute, David, Saul is your enemy. 
And David said, yeah, you know, I understand that. But boy, if it hadn't been for the goodness of God and the mercy of God, you say, where do you get that? The second time when Ziba shows up, he said, is there not someone that I can, of the household of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to of the household of Saul? David is re reminding himself, he's remembering, man, God was good to me when that lion came after the sheep. Man, God was good to me when that bear came growling in the middle of the night and grabbed that little lamb and I was able to wrestle that lamb away from that bear and grab that bear by the beard and kill that. Man, God was good to me. Boy, if I'd have been off just a quarter of an inch with that rock, man, that big old giant would have took my head off. Man, God has been good to me, preserving me, taking care of me. Man, look at this throne I'm on. Look at this kingdom I'm in. Man, look at my health. Look at everything that's going on here. Boy, God has been good to me. But instead of saying, you know, I deserve that. You know what he said? God's given me some great treasures. You know what? I wonder if there's somebody I can share it with. Here's the weird thing. He shares it with his enemy. Saul was trying to always wrestle the kingdom from David after God had appointed David as the ruler. And all of a sudden, Saul gets jealous and he's trying to kill David. David even has an opportunity one time. Him and Abishai, they creep down to the camp and all that kind of thing. David has a chance to take his life. And David even feels guilty for cutting the robe of Saul off because he felt like he overstepped in touching God's anointed. He said, you know something, until... God moves him out. I got no business trying to take that. God's given me so much. Why am I trying to take anything? You study the life of David very long. You know what happens is he begins to get older. You find out when his own son Absalom gets up a whole bunch of individuals to come there to try to take over the throne. You remember the story? You know what David does? David's got his mighty men around him. I mean, these guys are guys that for entertainment on a snowy day with nothing else to do, a guy walks by in a pit and he looks down there and he sees a lion. He said, I got nothing better else to do. And so he walks down into that snowy pit and on that snowy day, he kills a lion for entertainment. David's mighty men were able to kill hundreds of thousands of people in battle. Battle-hardened soldiers, even though they were old, they still had skills. And they come to him and they say, listen, king, your son is coming. Now here's what we're going to do. And they're starting to put the battle plans in array. And they're saying, king, what we can do is we can put the guys with the high ground here and we can set up a four square thing here. We can do this. Now you're going to have to be careful and stay and hold your position there. And then we'll release the archers over here. And you know what David said? David said, hey, it's it's not my throne. It's God's. And if he wants my son to have it, I ain't going to fight for it. Yeah. Let him have it. King, you got to be kidding me. I mean, let your son have it. You realize this is a rebellion. This is an insurrection. I mean, you understand? David said, hey, listen, guys. What you don't understand is, I was tending my sheep. I was the runt of the litter. When the preacher came over there and said, hey, they came and said that there's supposed to be one of the household to Jesse that's supposed to be a king, and I was out there, they never even considered me. They never looked my way. They never thought it would be possible. They went through my brothers, and they picked out one of my brothers. He's big, he's tall, he's strong, he's good-looking, he's well-read, he's very intellectual, really smart. Everybody thought, that'll be who the king is. But the Lord told the preacher, men look on the outside, I look on the inside. Side and God looked out there and saw me just doing what I was supposed to be doing, tending sheep. 
and said, hey, do you have anybody else, Jesse, in the household? He said, yeah, we got a stinking red-headed, ruddy-complected, little pin-headed boy out there doing a woman's job, taking care of sheep, but that ain't no king. And the preacher says, well, listen, man, all I know is to listen to what the Lord says. And he said, boys, they called me in there, and he said, hey, what's your name? He said, uh, my name's David. What are you? I'm a shepherd. He said, kneel down. And the Lord said, that's the guy. And David said, what are you doing, man? And he said, here. He poured the oil on his head and put his paws on him there and prayed over him like that. And David said, uh, I don't know why you're pouring all that oil and stuff all over me, man. I mean, good night. What in the world are you doing? He said, oh, you're going to be the king of Israel. He said, oh, okay, that's great. Can I go back to my sheep now? And he goes back to tending sheep. He never, his head never like went to his head. So he said, listen, I didn't even ask for this thing. I wasn't looking for it. Wasn't looking for a promotion. And now I got all this kind of stuff. You know what he says later in life? He says, if Absalom wants it, it's Absalom's throne. I don't care because God must want him to have it. I'm, I'm, it's not my throne. That's the kind of man David was. Saul's kinfolk were supposed to be the ones that were going to take over to the throne. That's Jonathan's son. Ziba said to him, there is a boy that was Jonathan's boy. And David said, what? What did you say? He said, Jonathan, remember King, your best friend, the guy you really cared a lot about? You remember him, right? Yeah. He said, oh, yeah, man, Jonathan. Jonathan and me were really, really close friends. He died on the wrong side of things. But he said, boy, we sure had some great times together. He said, I didn't know he had a boy. He said, yeah, he's got a boy. He said, there's a problem with him, though. He said, what's wrong? He's a cripple. He said, King, they had convinced everybody that when you came in here that you were going to kill all of the descendants of the household of Saul because that's normal for kings to do. And he would have been a descendant in line for the throne. And his nurse uh, dropped him, probably fell on him, crushed his pelvis. Uh, he's crippled from the legs, I mean, from the hips down, man. I mean, you know, he looks like he's got wetsuit for legs. He's just a uh, spaghetti uh, that kind of guy. Uh, that guy lives down there somewhere around a place called Lodabar. Uh, it's way down past everything. You remember Lodabar, King? And he he said, no, I don't remember ever fighting any battles for Lodabar. He said, oh, no, King. He said, you wouldn't fight battles for Lodabar. That's down there past the septic tank. That's down past the sewer system. Uh, that's down there past the garbage dump. He said, there ain't nothing down there that lives down there worth anything. He said, well, what in the world is a prince's son living down in that kind of a place? Why didn't I hear about this before then? He said, I'll tell you what you do. He's a southern king. And he says to him, he said, fetch Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, okay, well, I said, it'd take me probably a couple, three days to get down there and a couple, three days back, and I can take some vittles and this and that and the other. And the king sits back and said, my goodness, man, isn't that something? Saul had a grandson named Mephibosheth. Jonathan had a boy I never knew anything about. Boy, isn't that, that's an amazing thing, man. And Ziba starts to walk out, and he bows, and he says, uh, your majesty, I'll be back as quick as I can. He said, wait, 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 wait a minute. He said, man, you're going to pick up a king, son. He said, I, I tell you what you better do. Uh, go out there in the stable and get my horses. He said, you know, uh, uh, king, you mean those two white uh, stallions out there, the ones with the fiery sapphire-colored blue eyes and the ones with a coat like satin and a mane and a tail like silk and those, man, those horses that paw in the valley and those, boy, King, you got to be kidding, those muscles ripple and they grind and everybody is in awe when you see those. He said, yeah, yeah, take my horses, man. They're in stall one and two up there. He said, go ahead and grab them. And, and of course, Ziba's thinking in his mind, man, can you imagine horses like that hooked up to a regular wagon? 
And the king said, oh, and while you're at it, he said, just uh, go ahead and take my chariot. And Ziba said, you mean the one with the king's emblem on the side of it? He said, yeah, you're going to go fetch a king's son, man. Go get him. I mean, you know, take him in luxury. Send a limo after him. And Ziba said, well, king, what am I going to do if they tell me uh, to come? And he said, hang on just a minute. And he wrote a letter. And you know what the letter said? It said, fetch Mephibosheth, King David. Took his ring, sealed it, handed it to him. He said, if anybody has a problem, surely they'll know the king's right and hand it to him. Just a little story. I'll get to it in just a minute here. Just... And so all of a sudden, Ziba goes down there. He walks into the stable there, and he says to the stable hands, he said, uh, King wants me to get his horses and his chariot. And he said, he didn't send me no orders down here to send. He ain't going nowhere. I mean, Jehu's not around anymore. He'll come down here and order me around and stuff like that. And he said, well, I got this writing right here. And the stable man looked at it, and he said, oh, hang on just a minute. He said, boys, bring out them horses, boy. Man, them horses, all of a sudden, that head goes up. That tail comes up. They begin to sort of stretch out. They know they're fixing to go out. They step out into that afternoon sun, boy. That thing begins to glisten, boy, just like you have polished a brand new marble floor. And all of a sudden, they bring out the king's harnesses and they bring out all the stuff that's going on. And the people in the town are beginning to talk. What in the world? Where's the king going? Must be going to be a parade or something like that. And they bring out that polished chariot made of the finest brass and steel. And they hook up that harness to those horses. And old Ziba steps up in that thing and grabs those reins. He says, man... I've never been behind horses like this before. And before he gets ready to smack those horses, the stable hand says, hey, listen, these horses respond really well to verbal commands. He said, David don't have to beat his animals to get them to go where he wants them to go. He said, you know, I don't know what it is about him, but he must have learned something from tending sheep. He said, he's funny. He said, you don't have to put no whip on these horses. He said, all you have to do is tell them where you want to go. He said, I don't know what the words are, but it looks like the magic word's going to be fetch Mephibosheth. He said, just, just try that. And so he gets ready to hit those horses again. And he said, listen, man, I'm just telling you, just, just talk nice to them. And he says to the horses, he said, okay. He says, fetch Mephibosheth. Those horses pick up that head, boy, and they turn that chariot around, boy. He pulls on one side a little harder than the other side, and down they go, boy. And all of a sudden, the horns blast, and through the streets, he begins to roar. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear the leather beginning to creak. You'll hear the wood beginning to move back and forth. And listen down that cobblestone path as those horse hooves that are shod begin to send off electric sparks, man. And people are excited. Man, something's going on. The king's in a hurry for something. He can't wait to get somewhere. Them horses are near about at a full gallop and they blow the horn and they blow open the doors of the city there and boy through that thing they go and people are running up the stairs on the walls and they're looking out there going man where is he going? What in the world is he in such a hurry for? And now you don't see anything but a dust cloud that eventually looks like nothing but tumbleweeds off in the distance. And then he disappears and they all go down and say man what is going on? And they have a little person inside there to look inside information. He said, well, I was in the throne room and the king, I don't know, he seemed to, seemed to just be nostalgic today. He was just thinking, saying something about how good God had been to him. And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he said, hey, isn't there someone here that I can show the kindness of God to? Somebody that's of the household of Saul? He said, I don't know. Somebody said Mephibosheth. Does anybody know who that is? Oh, yeah, I know who that is. That's the one that got hurt running for the palace. Because everybody convinced him that 
the king was going to kill him and he was the collateral damage. He got hurt. He's crippled. He ain't been back in the palace since. I wonder why nobody's gone to get him. I don't know, man, but he's of the household of Saul and you know how the king might be. I mean, you might be the king's enemy if you go down there to get him. So we just figured he is gone and he was dead. But big old Ziba come in there and said, hey, yeah, he's down there in Lodabar. Lodabar? Isn't that the place where they send all the, the, the parolees when they get out of prison? Isn't that the place where all the misfits in society live? Isn't that kind of down there toward that valley where all that nasty, filthy stuff runs down toward the end of that? Lodabar, that's down there past that garbage dump, the sewer pit. Man, does people still live down there? I guess they do. That's where he said he lives. Well, old Ziba's getting there now. See the horses? Look at them. They are lathered up, boy. They're champing at those bits, man. They think it's been the greatest thing in the world. They've been running down that hill, and those nostrils have been flaring. That mane and tail has been flying, boy. Dust is running up. Rocks are kicking up and that kind of a thing. And old Ziba's doing all he can just to hang on to keep from getting flung out of there. And he comes across the crest of the city, and the wind's blowing in his direction, and he catches the stench of garbage garbage and then of sewage and he said man I must be getting close and he reins those horses in a little bit and slows them down and he sees a little sign on the side of the road and it says Lodi Bar and he goes in there and he pulls into the oat station there to water his horses just a little bit there and he pulls over he goes into the attendant when the bell goes off and he says to him he said hey uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, a feller that lives in town here I was wondering if you know him. Fella puts his thumbs in his galluses. He says, I pretty much know everybody around here. Been here all my life. What you want to know? He said, I'm looking for a guy, Mephibosheth. He said, that old crippled punk, good for nothing, sorry, rotten, dreg of society. Do I know Mephibosheth? He can't work. He can't hit a lick of a snake. All we have to do is take care of him. He ain't even got a wheelchair to roll around in, Mephibosheth. Yeah, who in the cat here would want Mephibosheth? Matter of fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pay you to take him off our hands. He ain't nothing but a drain around here. All these women feeling sorry for him and making him meals all the time and going down there to tend for him. He's got sores all over him because he's been laying in all that filth and stuff and all that trash and nurses going down there to take care of him and that kind of a thing. Yeah, he's been down there for years. Well, I reckon he is. I hadn't seen him burning on the trash heap anytime lately. He said, well, how do you get to him? He said, you run down here past the garbage dump, the sewer pit. You go down there and you make a right. Street gets real narrow there. You want to watch out for the robbers and those kind of things right in that area. If you fool enough to get there, he said, that place is so narrow, you can't even turn a chariot around. He said, oh, it's a straight and a narrow way, is it? He said, yeah, it's a real narrow, man. He said, there ain't room to wiggle one way or the other. He said, you have to have that thing set perfect. He said, I wouldn't take these horses down there, man. He said, boy, they're liable to take these horses and cut their throat and eat them for dinner, and you too, for that matter. And Ziba says, well, I got an order from the king. He said, the king? What would the king want with a dirt bag like that? And he said, well, uh, he said, oh, wait a minute. Ain't that boy the grandson of Saul? He said, I know why he wants him. He wants to bring him up there so he can cut his throat, so he can kill him, cut his head off. We don't have to worry about somebody worrying about whether or not he is the rightful owner of the throne. He goes, I bet you the king wants to kill him. He said, listen, man, all I know is the king told me to go get him, and I'm going to get him. And the 
horses have gotten a little bit of water now and they're ready to run again and he starts to creak down those streets boy and people are coming out and they're looking out the windows and they're pulling it shut and then they're looking again and they're pulling it shut and he goes by there they see that big chevron on the side of that thing that says the house of David the household of David and they're like boy I'm going to tell you that's the king's chariot what do you reckon he's doing he begins to gather a crowd he comes to that narrow spot in there and he says hey anybody around here know Mephibosheth and they're all pointing down there yeah everybody knows Mephibosheth we know him nasty filthy dirty crippled up boy sure everybody knows who he is everybody knows him knows where he came from can tell you the story about him of course their story is different as many as there are people down there uh, one person says yeah well I heard what he did was as he was trying to rob and steal something from the king and the king hit him with a baseball bat and broke him all to pieces and left him to die somebody drug him out and oh no that ain't what happened he went into the back end of a woman's house one day and was trying to take advantage of her and her husband came home shot him a couple times and he's crippled up and that kind no that ain't what happened he was going in there he was going to rob the store at the stop and rob there and the police come in there and shot him and instead of putting him in jail they settled out of court and and then he's down there and all that kind of I mean they had as many stories about how he got busted up and why he wasn't where he ought to be as there was people in Lodabar everybody thought they knew why he was down there but nobody seemed to know why the king was after him they all figured it had to be for judgment because what would the king want a piece of trash like that for in the palace? He gets down there and he looks off to the side of the road down there past the little slogged out places where the chariots had turned around in the past or the wagons had been and all muddy and, and messed up. He knows better than to get in there and get them horses all muddied up and trying to get stuck and, and that kind of a deal. He pulls those horses up there and drops the reins on their backs. Ain't worried about them running or nothing like that. And they're just sitting there blowing and got their heads down a little bit and he walks up there and he gets there to that front door, that old tin shack made out of cardboard and stuff like that. And he bangs on that door with that old flashlight. He said, hey, Mephibosheth, are you in there? Mephibosheth cowers board and backs off in the corner. He pulls some cardboard up around him, man. The roaches begin to run for cover. The rats take off into the wall and stuff like that. And he bangs on the door again and he said, hey, I got a message from the king. You either come out or I'm coming in. Mephibosheth said, well, I can't come out. He said, well, I'm coming in. And he rears back and he kicks the door off the hinges and it flies everywhere. And over in the corner looks like a mangy dog stuffed up underneath a garbage truck covered in axle grease and got all the mange all over him and all of his hair is all matted together. What part of it is still stuck to him and bare skin and sores all over him and worms crawling in him. And there he is and the stench is beyond anything even a rough soldier had ever seen. And he looks at them and he goes, you're Mephibosheth? And he said, that's my name. He said, give me your ID. And he looked down there and he said, man, the king made a mess having me to come get you. He said, is your daddy Jonathan? He said, yes, sir, that was my daddy. My granddaddy was Saul. He said, you used to be in the palace, boy? He said, yes, sir, I was about five, six years old when I heard there was another king coming and the Nurse scared me, slapped to death, said the king was coming to kill me and said that all the people in the palace didn't like me. Nobody in the church house loved me. I just, they just, they told me to run and I went to running and she tried to grab me up and she fell over me and broke me all to pieces. And, you know, I ain't been back to the palace since uh, 
the new king's been in the palace. I have, I, but I grew up there. Boy, it was a great place, man. I was a little kid, man. I used to play army in the hallways, and I used to swim in the pools there and splash in the rivers. Man, I ate the finest dainties from all the things. I and mean, then old, uh, old Jemima, she used to let me come into the kitchen, you know, and I'd come in there and she'd give me cookies and bread and stuff like that. Man, I'd swell up like a pig, like a, like a puppy stuck his head in puppy jowl, man. He said, she used to hide me underneath the table when they'd come in there looking for me. You seen Mephibosheth? No, sir. No, ma'am. I ain't seen him. No, sir. I ain't seen him. No, sir. Not at all. Where is that? Boy, you better get on out of here now. Here, take this with you. She'd hand me a cookie and I'd scurry out on the backside and they all want to know why I didn't didn't want my supper and all. She's always feeding me and taking care of me, telling me Bible stories and stuff. Boy, we had such a good time over there, man. I used to watch my daddy. He, he had a friend, and my daddy did, and, and they talk about things that he did with his friend and shooting bows and arrows together and climbing up hills and, and killing the uh, Philistine peoples or something like that. I, I, I don't know, foggy memory, but I, I kind of remember that. He said, are you done talking now? It's getting late outside. He said, the king told me to fetch you. He goes, what the cat air does he want with me? And he said, I don't know. He told me to get you, and I'm going to get you. And he said, well, good luck. You're going to get dirty if you pick me up or touch me, and nobody wants to touch me because of where I've been and what I've done. I can't crawl out there to your chariot. I can't even make it to the front door. That's why all that food's piled up over there. I can't do nothing but crawl along on my belly or slide along on my hind end, but I got so many bed sores and stuff and that kind of thing. It's just gotten to the point where I'm about starving to death. And old Ziba reached down in there and got legs like big old cedars and got arms like oak trees, boy, and he reaches down like a mama would grab a newborn baby and gets underneath the crippled legs on this side and that old little old weak arm and that bony body on this side and he picks him up like this like a crane is picking up a load of rocks and Mephibosheth just hanging scraggly beard sores all over him stinks like nobody's business dogs all outside wanting to lick his sores to try to give him some relief and he begins to walk he gets out there and he reaches up there with one of them big old cedar legs and slings over here a sort of a ruby colored sapphire or, or, or red covered scarlet covered uh, pillar and he he leans him over in there and he says, you got to be careful, man. If you drop me, you'll kill me. I, you'll bust me all to pieces, man. You can't imagine the pain I'm in. You can't imagine how much I'm hurting. You can't imagine how bad this has been for me, not just physically, but emotionally. You can't, you, you got no idea, man. And he said, listen, man, I got you this. He lays him into that chariot right there and sort of slides him up against the wall of that thing and takes a blanket and puts him over it like that. And he says, hey, wait, boss man. He said, I remember that thing's on top of a mountain up there, isn't it? He said, yes, sir, it sure is. And he said, uh, you know what's going to happen when you turn? He said, I don't have the strength to hang on. He said, when you make that turn off of that last street down there and go up Main Street to go up to the palace... He said, sure as I'm here, man, I'll to take his one pothole, man, and I'll go bouncing out of this chariot, man, and I'm going to bust my head wide open. And he said, could you just kill me now? 
I can't take the pain anymore. That'll break me all to pieces. And he said, well, he said, the problem is, young man, he said, you have to come through these two big old cedar legs right here in order to get out of there because the king told me to get you and you got to go through me in order to get out. You don't have to hold on. I'll make sure that you stay in. And he turns that chariot around and goes down that little narrow street. And the people in the town are saying, man, what a relief, that roach bug's gone. Hey, did anybody want his house? I mean, before they can even get to the end of his block, they've torched his house. Yeah, we don't want you back, you bag of bones. You're good for nothing. Just draining all of our money. Goodbye, good riddance. King's going to kill him. You know, I heard. King finally caught up with him. Had a bunch of warrants on him is what I heard. That's why they sent him down here, special marshal's office down here to get him. Went down there and picked him up, cuffed him up, and stuffed him up. That's all they done. Hey, taking him up there to the palace, going to execute him. If they hurry, they'll get him before sundown. You know how they are. You know, they got to get it before the day's ended and that kind of thing. Must be wanting to do it for Passover or something. Who knows? And boy, up the road he goes. And then all of a sudden, you know how those horses get? They get late in the evening time like that. And they know that they're done for the day. The sun's beginning to set over the horizon there. And they turn that those horses toward the city. And those horses take one look up at that city and say, man, we know where we're going. There's some fresh oats and water waiting on us, man. A little sweet feed mixed in with the corn. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to tell you what. One of them looks over at the other and they wink at each other. And this one right eye and this one left eye and said, let's go, man. And the next thing you know, Ozibus says, whoa, boys, what are y'all doing? Whoa, what do you mean, man? We're going to eat. We're going to the house. And they're flying. And up the road they go and then the trumpet blasts and be done here in a second up there the road he goes and on the top of the mountain top of the road up there on the wall around Jerusalem God blows the horn send a runner to the king so Ziba's coming the king said can you see whether or not he got the Mephibosheth in there can you tell the king can't tell from here but I can see a cloud of dust boy I mean they are coming man Jehu must be driving wildly he said good night man he's all over the road boy I mean he, he is wide open king I never seen them horses run so hard in all my life king said good man good he said call the stable man tell him to get him some fresh oats and sweet feed and also down there when they get here he said but before he goes to the stable he said tell him to run him by the front door so he radios to the guy the chauffeur the thing he says hey Ziba the king says bring him to the palace and he said man you don't want this bag of trash at the palace I mean it might be something you drag in the back door but for the God's sake don't bring him in the front door you lost your mind it's insanity man you must be crazy he said listen man all I know is the king said to bring him to the front door he said, okay, man, I'm going to bring him to the front door. Boy, them guards come along there, and they try to stop him from coming in. And this time, now Ziba's wore out. Sun beginning to set, the sky's beginning to turn red over there and beginning to dip off in the horizon there. And he holds up the thing right there, and they recognize the king's writing and say, okay, man, that's as good as King James right there. King David said, fetch Mephibosheth. Yes, sir, Ziba, you come right on through here. And they look over in that, that chariot, and they're like, oh, my goodness, man you got to be kidding me. That, oh, man, you know what, guys? We need to go see what's going to happen. We're surely going to see an execution. Pull up into the front of the palace, and the horses stop and stand just as still. They're back twitching, and they feel a fly land on their back, and they're just 
twitch just a little bit to try to get that fly to move on about its business. And all of a sudden, Mephibosheth realizes, man, I know where I'm at. We've stopped. All the servants are out on both sides of the staircases there. They're coming out of the palace and stuff. And they're making ready for this special envoy of this individual that's supposed to be there. I mean, they're expecting it to be a prince. They're expecting to show its royalty and all that kind of stuff. And the stench of what's coming up in the car, it smells from the, from, from the chariot. It smells worse than the horse's hind, hind end. It's just, man, what is that smell? And he said, that's his cargo, man. That's Mephibosheth. And Ziba stands up there, man, big old man. He's about six foot six and weighs about 280 pounds, just as solid as granite. And he stands up there and the king comes out and he bows his head like that. And he says to the king down, down this way as the king starts down the stairs, he said, you said to fetch this bag of trash. He said, what would you say? He, he said, uh, I said Mephibosheth, sir, Mephibosheth. <laughs> king motions like this and about four guys come over there. It'll always be four guys. And those four guys come over there and they carefully grab the corners of that pillow and they bring in and they set him down there at the end of that marble staircase. Mephibosheth, he ain't even going to open. He raise his head. He's not looking. He's not doing anything. His head is down and buried in that pillar. And all of a sudden he begins to hear steps coming down you could hear a pin drop. One step at a time, it comes. And he gets closer, and then he looks at sandaled feet that in the center of those feet where the thong comes together looks like a diamond-cut ruby in there, like a marquee on that foot and that foot, and he's looking right at his feet. And he begins to tremble, and he begins to shake, and he begins to say, and the king said, Are you Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth said, well, this is it. I ain't nothing but a dead dog. I'm not any good. And the king, you know how he would be, he'd get down there and he'd put his hand on his head. He'd say, hey boy, look at me. And Mephibosheth would look up and he said, don't be afraid, man. Man, I see in you, you resemble your daddy. Your daddy and I were really good friends, man. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I loved him like my own soul. He said, you know what, I made a promise to your daddy a long time ago that if he, took, if he was the king, he'd take care of my family. If I was the king, I'd take care of his family. And however the Lord worked it out, I happened to be here. First, I want to apologize to you. I didn't even know you was around, but I'm, I'm here to take care of you. And he said, why would you want to take care of me? He said, oh, I... I got something special for you. He thought, man, I'm going to get my head cut off. About that king, time the king nods, and they come down and grab him, take him to a big old wash tub. A little bit of steam coming off. They've been running a fire underneath it. They get ready, and they dump him off in that water, and they begin to scrub him with soap bubbles and all that, and the sun's beginning to completely set now, and it's strange how that sun hits that water. It, it sort of reflects the, the sun, but the sun sort of turned red. And Mephibosheth's looking down at that water, and he said, man, are you bathing me in blood or something? What is this? Why is this red? And then he scoops his hand down there, and he, it's water. But it's, why is it so red? 
an older mama, she's old now. She said, hey, honey. She says, you know, since the new king moved in, he said, you'd be surprised. We have some strange things happen around here. You'd be surprised. And sometimes in the evening time, somebody gets ready to take a bath. Yeah, this water, it turned red. It looked like blood, but it's just water. He said, Jemima, how are you? She said, honey, when you get out of the bathtub, I got you a cookie now. Don't you tell nobody. She said, Jemima, I've been missing you. Boy, they get through cleaning him up and they pull him out of the tub and he's naked as the day he was born. And the king walks in and they all stand back, turn their backs to him. He's sitting there, boy, I mean, has no way. To, he's embarrassed and ashamed and he's covering himself. And he said, uh, your majesty, sir, king, I, I don't have anything to cover myself with, sir. I'm, I apologize. I know I shouldn't be in a state of undress in front of you, sir. I apologize. I meant no offense, sir. They just pulled me out of the tub. By the way, that's a strange tub. I really feel clean, man. I can't tell you. Been a long time since I had a bath. But, sir, I don't have any. King said, you know, I've been thinking about that for a while. I, you've grown a lot since you were here last, apparently. So I tell you what I thought I'd do. I, I've contacted my tailor and he's made a robe for you that'll fit you perfectly, but it's going to be made out of the king's material. And he said, it'll just look like the king's robe. And Mephibosheth said, man, why, why, why would you do that? He said, you can't cover yourself, can you? He said, no, sir, I sure can't. He said, well, we're fixing to have a banquet. You don't want to go to the banquet without a robe. I mean, they'll pitch you out on your ear, man. You can't go in there without a robe. But I can give you a robe, man. Matter of fact, you know what I got for you? He said, you know something? He said, I was looking around the other day. I found something your daddy left behind after he died on the battlefield. You know what it was? It's your daddy's ring. He said, you know what that does? That's an all-access pass to everywhere in the palace. He said, come here and let me see that finger and slip it on there. He said, man, he said, boy, do you need some shoes? <laughs> he said, I don't know if we'd ever get the stains out of them old crippled feet. And he said, besides that, them some ugly feet, man. <laughs> he said, you need a mani-pedi, boy. <laughs> that's, that's bad. And put some slippers over him and he says, what you want to eat for dinner? He said, uh, sir, he said, anything you want, you can have it. He said, man, I sure would like a lobster, David looked at. He said, I mean, I mean, I mean a lamb, I mean a lamb, I mean lamb. I didn't mean a lobster. I was thinking shrimp, I, 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 mean, I, I mean just some, just some, some mackerel will be fine. I, King, whatever you want to do. He said, no, I want you to have whatever you want. And he said, I'd like for you to join me for dinner. And he said, uh, how long will I get there, sir? He said, you know, I've been thinking about that. He said, King, you know that these people, they've heard all the rumors about me. They've heard some of them were true and some of them are not. But he said, you know what, the truth's in the middle somewhere. And he said, they've heard everything about me. I'm crippled up, dirty old, nasty Mephibosheth. When I come sit at the table, he said, they're going to know me because I'm crippled. He said, I've changed a lot, but they know I was crippled when I was five and I'm still going to be crippled when we're sitting at the table. And the king said, yeah, I've been thinking about that. He said, I believe I got us a way around it. He said, yes, sir. He said, well, before I make the special announcement about who you are and what I'm going to do for you, he said, here's what I thought I'd do. I'm going to take you in and sit you at my table myself right next to me at my right hand. 
and I will get the tablecloth long enough that nobody will be able to see you being crippled, your lame legs and them ugly old feet. You don't be able to see that. He said, now all you got to do is, is you just sit there just like you ain't crippled. Even though I know you'll never forget that you're crippled. And he said, well, Cain, that'll be fine. You going to send that big old boy Ziba in here? Man, he is much a man. And David said, no. He said, put your hands right here around my neck. Put his hands around his neck like that and run his hand up under the back like that. Got them old crippled boys. He said, man, King, for an old man, you're still pretty strong. David said, yeah, back in the day, I could bend a bow of steel. Back in the day, I could kill Philistines. Back in the day, I could kill a bear and a lion. And Back in the day, I could kill a giant. Back in the day, I had great friends like Jonathan. Boy, whew, man, I feel like writing a psalm. <laughs> Blessed is the man. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorner, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Mephibosheth, I don't want to get in the way of you having a seat in the palace. I tell you what, I, I just, King, what you, what you squalling about? He said, God's been so good to me. God's been so good to me. He said, boy, if you knew about me what God knows about me, you wouldn't want me carrying you. He said, King, maybe one day we can swap stories. King said, nah, in the palace we don't do that. We forget. We leave all that out there in Lodabar. He said, you let me know if anybody talks about it, okay? He said, I know the main guy in charge. We'll take care of it. And sets him down at the table. All the honored guests come in and they sit down. Can you bear with me just a couple more minutes and I'll be done? And he's sitting there at the table, man. He's eating. And now he feels like one of them horses has done got his head in a bag of puppy chow. And he's over there. He's laid over in the grass. Man, his stomach has never been so full in years and years and years. And Jemima comes over there and she's got this little pink, this little cup with this pink stuff in it. She said, here, honey, here's you some Pepto-Bismol. I know you're going to overdo it tonight. <laughs> You know, there's always a Jemima in the king's house that's looking to care for you. King said, hey, Jemima, what you doing here? She said, King, she said, I took care of this little boy a long time ago, long before you ever even come to the palace. He said, man, you got the best care anybody's ever had. He said, she's been taking care of me. He said, I got all these big advisors around me, but when I want to know something, I call Jemima and say, hey, Jemima, cut me a piece of chocolate cake. We need to sit down and talk. They get finished eating. They had dessert. Baked Alaska. (laughs) Flaming. He can't hardly hold his eye. He's trying. He's so tired. He's so wore out. Life's been so hard on him. He's been through so much to be so young. He's just wore out and the pressure's coming off now. And he just can't. He's just, man, he is trying his best to stay awake. He can't keep his eyes open. The king said, you sleepy son? And he said, yes, sir, I'm pretty tired. He said, yeah, the Lord told me one time about a fellow named Elijah who got real tired under. He said, what? Who is it? He said, no, that, wait a minute. That's later on. He, Never mind. He said, uh, I'd like for you to, to stay here tonight. 
He said, King, I, I imagine they probably got a Motel 6 down the road or something like that. He said, you ain't staying in no Motel 6. He said, I got a place for you. It's your daddy's old room. He said, you know, he used to sleep right over there next to the king. It's where your daddy's room is. I, I kind of vaguely remember that. And David said, well, we've done a little remodeling. Why don't you come in real quick? He walks him over there like he's putting his little baby boy to bed and he's holding on to him. And Chef's just in awe. He's looking around and there's the acacia wood and the cedars and the aloes and all that, the silken drapes that are hanging down. He's looking at the marble pillars and the stone and the walls and the polished marble on the thing and a big old giant feather bed. He ain't been in a bed bed in years and years. He slept on boxes. David picks him up and kind of playfully pitches him into the bed and he kind of bounces a couple of times and he sinks down into that thing. He said, man, I must be dreaming. He said, wait till you see breakfast in the morning. He said, King, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to slide off these satin sheets, man. He said, I've never been on a place like this. And he said, I'll see you in the morning. And as the door closes, he goes out and out there out of his window, right by the headboard of his door, he begins to hear music playing. It's a harp, and he hears a voice. Somebody singing, and I don't know. It's just something about the way that he sings that it seems really special. And he scunches across those satin sheets, and he pushes that door open, that window open, and pushes it over on this side right here. And he raises himself up there on the threshold of that window, and he looks out there. Boy, those beautiful fountains are splashing. The moon is dancing out across the sky and down onto that water. And reflecting off of that, it looks like somebody scattered diamonds all across that place. Stars are shining like chandeliers. He can hear the water, but over that water as he hears this beautiful voice and this harp playing, and he, and he looks and he looks again and he rubs his eyes and he said, that looks like the king, but his crown's not there and there's no royal robes and... David's face is turned up and that moon's hitting it and it's just shining and he's smiling and Mephibosheth said, man, it sure is good to be home. Preacher, why don't you tell me that story tonight? Well, if you got saved, he came down and picked you up out of a place like that. If you're out of fellowship, you know what? He'll send somebody to come get you out of the pig pen. Would you like to come home to the king's house tonight? And wouldn't that be a great way to end a meeting? If you've never been to the king's house to be saved, wouldn't tonight be a good time? I think the prodigal son, father, sat up on his roof every night. I think he penned some words to a very famous hymn. He'd look out there into the horizon every evening as the sun dipped below the horizon. He'd think to himself, I wish he'd come home. I wish he'd come home. I'd take care of all the stuff he did. I I just want him to be home. I know he's done bad stuff, terrible stuff, stuff that's going to stain him and scar him for the rest of his life. I sure wish he'd come home. 
come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home, earnestly. Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling Mephibosheth. Why don't you come home? Amen. Amen. There's plenty of bread at the Father's table. Yeah. Yeah. But more than the bread, there's plenty of forgiveness in the Father's house. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. A simple story, but a profound truth. Found in the story of a crippled boy who found peace in the king's palace. It's the last opportunity before camp closes to finish things right with the Lord. To talk to him. I know you think he's going to kill you. I know you think he's going to crush you. I know you even think you deserve it. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to testify to you personally, publicly. I'm here to tell you this. You know what he'll do? Oh, man, you know what he'll say to you? I sure am glad you're home. Let me help you. Let me do something for you. King, I'm dirty. I'm crippled. I may be lame for the rest of my life. That's all right. You're going to eat bread under my table. I'm going to restore unto you all the land that your father had, your grandfather had. Listen, don't, don't worry about that. I'm just glad you're home. Wouldn't you like to come? Wouldn't you like to come? His heads are bowed. I'm going to pray. And if God spoke to you, don't wait. This is a great way to finish things. You say where? Bowed down in the Father's house. Heavenly Father, thank you for your many, many blessings. Thank you for the responsiveness of these young'uns. I pray, Lord, that you'll do what we can't do and even a sermon can't do. That you'll move mightily in their hearts and in their minds and you'll help them, you'll strengthen them. Give them the strength of Samson and the wisdom of Solomon. Help them to know, Lord, where to go and which way to turn and how to be. I realize, Lord, their lives are in peril constantly every day. I know, Lord, they have endured as good soldiers some hard things that have been said this week, and yet they've continued to come back. Please reward them for their willingness and their steadfastness. Please put your hand upon them and guard them and protect them. Lord, help them to know that they're never alone. Help them to know that if they've strayed from the Father's house, and even if they got crippled while they were out, there's always room for them to come back to the house. Bless these churches, these men, these pastors. And thank you for this privilege that we've had, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.